0: my advice to everybody is beef up your, your business development, right? Get with a consultant. You yeah. have some pretty good folks on rent scale As that do can do you. this. We have biz dev mastermind. All those are working together. I think they go hand in hand. They're like Burger King, McDonald's. Honestly, I think they work, you know, in pretty good synergy together, but hire somebody, create that business development machine and watch the leads start to come in and make those closings, right? Get that business. Wow.
1: I don't throw darts at a board.
0: I bet on sure things.
1: Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War.
0: Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Wella, and I'm here with Brad Larson today from RentWorks, PMMCon, and a bunch of other stuff. You always got something new cooking. Brad, welcome to the show.
0: Appreciate you having me on, man. Glad we got to do the last minute invite. Uh, I was walking around the vendor booths downstairs and I just had a wild hair. I said, hey, let's get on a podcast and talk about a couple things. And you're like, yeah, let's do it. Come up at, you know, 530 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite 530. Not 530, but.
1: But yeah, sometimes you got to be flexible to jump in the opportunity. I'm glad you came and snagged me. So there is some good stuff to chat about. And it's been a while. But for those that don't know, you're thinking, man, there's nobody that doesn't know. But for those that don't know who Brad Larson is, give us a little bit of background on yourself.
0: Sure. So. I've uh, been in the property management space about 10 years. I own a property management company in San Antonio, now Austin. We're able to get in a couple acquisitions. So we manage about 1,100 homes. We have, what, 38 employees, and a lot of those are remote. So we're big on the remote team members to assist in our management day-to-day functions. And so really with the help of Melanie Thomas, she's my key CEO person, uh, the business runs itself, and it and it allows my mind to run wild, and we get to build other things like a property management mastermind conference that we put on every year. So that's going to go on again, the fourth iteration in March of 23 in Nashville, right? On Broadway, that's going to be a super fun event. And then we got a couple other things cooking as well. And those are the big ones like the, uh, the podcast I do, of course, you've been on that show several mm-hmm. times and that's a, it's a fun little you know thing that's going on there. And it leads well, into what's other the name things. of
1: that show? If people want to check it out.
0: Property management mastermind is what it's called. And uh, we also have a really good Facebook group, 11,000 plus members now in that group. And there's great resources in there. If you ever need a question answered, you could pop in and ask a question and you'll get 10 answers pretty quick. So yeah, it's got a few things cooking in in the fire, they say.
1: Always staying busy. So let's talk a little bit more about your background from the Midwest collegiate athlete, former service member. As you reflect back on your upbringing, you know, I'm always curious on what it is that disposes certain people to become entrepreneurs and to get into business. This I mean, I'm hitting you fresh here with this question, but if you reflect back, is there anything in your background or your upbringing
0: that you think disposed you to become an entrepreneur? Being poor was one. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I That j- doesn't
1: do it for everybody, brother.
0: Yeah, I know it doesn't, but my parents are both school teachers at Catholic schools. And so, they don't pay anything, right? And so, we basically lived pretty poor. Like, I just remember, I was so frustrated to not have, you know, even money to go buy batting gloves for your, mm. you know, for your baseball. Mm. And it was just, you know, that's kind of what motivated me to do all some of this. And, you know, this is rinse and repeat. You hear this a lot, but I remember being handed a book when I was at the Infantry Captain's Career Course at Fort Benning. It was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. And some really smart dude from Vanderbilt. He's like, hey, man, you got to read this. So, this is back in what, 99, you know, 2000, whatever it was. And so I read it. And of course, just like everybody else talks about in bigger pockets or wherever, it changes your life. It puts you in a different direction, puts you in a different mindset. So, that really kind of turned the corner for me to go from that servicing, you know, I'm going to stay in the military until they kick me out type of scenario to like, okay, I got to go do other things. This is way more exciting to me. And your start was on the brokerage side? So essentially I left the military and moved straight to San Antonio and got right into real estate sales and sold homes for 10 years and then formed a management company in roughly 2011. And what made you want to do that? Another good story there is, so I was at Keller Williams. It was 2008, had a great year in 2007 and went to the team leader at Keller Williams. I said, how do I really take this to the next level? You know, This is a one-on-one meeting. And how do I get this thing cooking more? And so in between text messages with his head down, he looks up and says, hire an assistant and looks back down and keeps text messaging. And I just was blown away. I'm like, that is my key to success as hiring an assistant. And I just, it just irritated the you know what out of me. And so I left. I'm like, I'm out of here. And I left Keller Williams. I started my own brokerage because I had my broker's license and just kept building and building and building from there. I mean, I remember telling people my first address was a UPS box, right? So, it was uh, on Stone Oak Parkway in San Antonio, Texas, Mm. which is a big Mm. street. And so, you look at it on a business card, if you remember business cards, and it said Stone Oak Parkway, right? And so, people would think you're big time. And I was really just managing out of my house. And you start slowly and you build it and build it and build it. So. It really helped me kind of refine and hone in on the business development process of what property managers do, because I built the business from kitchen table presentation to kitchen table presentation, just more and more and more over and over. But the selling side, as you know, it's a, it's a roller coaster, man. I mean, you could have a great year, bad year, great year, bad year, but- It's
1: happening right now.
0: Exactly. And as soon as you take your, your foot off the pedal, you're slowing down. And so there's never, every, there's never any uh, real, it's not a real business. No offense to any real estate no, agents uh, yeah. out there, but it's not a real business. You can't turn that thing around and sell it when you're done. It doesn't run itself. I know there's a few exceptions, the teams, I get it, but you know what I mean? It's just not, it's not a quantifiable business like property management. And so once I really started to learn the value of this recurring revenue in our industry, and the way you can build it out and proce- and build the procedures, it just really was, was a fit for me.
1: Now, were you pretty clueless from day one starting a PM company
0: or did your 10 years in real estate give you a meaningful leg up? It, it, it gives you kind of a base, right? You understand how to work with people. You understand how to sell. You understand homes. You understand how things work inside of homes. Because in the beginning, you're doing everything. You're doing maintenance. You're doing accounting. You're doing everything in the beginning until you are, are big enough to hire out. Uh, But yeah, it does give you a good base. And of course, it really gave me a really a, a true understanding of the selling side, because that's a big piece that I think is missing in some management factions is they don't have the understanding of being able to sell. Mm-hmm. selling the real estate homes. And so mm-hmm. you and I talked about that pre-show. It's like, this is a this is one way to potentially stop that dreaded C word that we always hear about, the churn word. Mm-hmm. And some folks are intimidated by the brokerage side,
1: which is always interesting to me to think about being intimidated by a new skill that's actually an adjacency. Skills in general, like magic tricks, once you know how to do it, it's really not that complicated. In your case, you came from brokerage, you get into PM, you're coming up in the business. What were some of the mistakes that you bumped your head on? What were some of the rookie mistakes you made early on?
0: there's so many of them it, it could fill a book uh i remember bob walters from australia you know, yeah he was a 30-year you know property management guy right i visited australia and hung out with him quite a bit he came to my conference and uh, he always said because i used to listen to his presentations this is before podcasting right
1: and I'm, i you've told me a story before but how how did you get a hold of these presentations it was like pre-internet
0: yeah internet was broadly we're talking cds like he would put these out on CDs and had a connection through Todd Breen and he introduced oh, me to Bob Todd Breen, okay. because he was going over to speak quite a bit mm-hmm. over there to Australia. But anyway, kind of to get back to your question, and you know, it could fill a book. You know, he would stand on stage and say, you know, I can fill a book. I can talk a year about the mistakes I've made. A big one that you've heard of always before, you know, coming up is t- trusting too many people with your money mm-hmm. because, you know, things can kind of go south pretty quick. So you have to take the Reagan mantra of trust, but verify. And so that's one of the mistakes. The other one, you know, a little bit simpler way before that, before you start getting to that point is how do you design your business? Like, how do you, do you go flat fee? Do you go percentage? You know, how do you differentiate yourself between your competition? And so there were some mistakes that were made. I mean, heck, I was changing the pricing model like every six months to try and find that sweet spot. And so and of course, hiring mistakes, you you know, you hire the wrong person and they waste your time and money for a long time. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of things you learn coming up. Great example. Let me hone in on an exact point. We're trying to hire a business development person in Austin. And so we're looking at resumes. We're trying to find a full-time business development manager. And one of the resumes I came across that our team was kind of excited about was, a person moving from a different market into Austin. And I took one look at this person's resume. I said, no way, because as successful as that person looks, they're moving from a different market and they're gonna treat us like a launching pad Mm. to get their next gig. So they're gonna be in my faction for six months and then they're gone, right? Cause you start to learn, you get the spidey sense of what those team members are gonna be like after you've been burned once or twice before. Intuition. Yeah, intuition. And you just can't teach that. It has to be brought on by experience. And so that person could have been a great hire, but I just thought, nope. They're gonna they're gonna come in, they're gonna treat us like a launching pad, suck up a salary for six months, and then they're gonna find the next better gig and they're out. Mm. And so That's just stuff you learn along the way.
1: So you mentioned the the trust accounting, trust accounting. accounting. I I took what you said as like trust accounting irregularities, but let's just say that in general, there's a variety of ways that an unscrupulous staff member can cause problems in the business. This is kind of the the soft, to some degree, hidden underbelly of the industry. I think of myself as somebody that's fairly well-connected, knows a lot of people. That's something that I think nobody fully understands because people don't want to talk about it, right? Yeah. There's no... Nobody here that's wanting to wave their hands and regale us all with exactly what happened to them. But on occasion, weird stuff does happen, doesn't it? What I see, Brad, is on occasion, people disappear. People we've known in the industry and have had some level of visibility just kind of go away and then come to find out that's exactly what was happening, that somehow a staff member took advantage of them, they, they didn't have the controls in place, et cetera. Talk to me about the kind of controls that you're seeing as being necessary in order to keep a grip on that part of the business.
0: Well, we are money managers first. And so we manage property as a byproduct of managing money. And that's what one thing you got to take into your your heart and your soul is like, okay, the money part is the most important part. We got to get it really right. Another side of that is lack of regulation on the state level. California, mm-hmm. I mean as much as people dog on them, they do it pretty well it's because They are super tight, restricted, and they can walk in at any time. And if you're not fully reconciled to the month, you know, they could shut you down. Mm -hmm. And so that's forcing those managers to operate at a very high level because they know that there's an actual punishment at the other side. Other states, they are the wild west. Some don't even require managers to be licensed.
1: Licensed, You
0: know, and I'm just like baffled. And so I would like to see more regulation at a state level to... Ensure that those things don't happen.
1: Wow, this is interesting. It is. A pro-regulation guy over here. Yeah. That's a surprise. Yeah,
0: and, you know, I'm you know, a hardcore capitalist, of course, but uh, I'd like to see a bit more regulation on the manager side because we're our brand as property managers is getting diluted mm. from the one-off leasing agent out there with, you name the real estate company, who's not making any sales that month, and they just go out and lease a home. And what that means is they find a tenant, they air quote screen the tenant, they write a lease agreement on a state promulgated form, which is basically a napkin because they leave half the blanks unfilled. And then they are creating a document that could literally last decades. Mm -hmm. You understand that thing could auto renew for decades. Next thing you know, the owner's, you know, embezzling the money from the tenant. They're not paying their mortgage. The mm-hmm. tenant gets kicked out. All the bad scenarios can happen. But as property managers, they're giving us a bad name.
1: Mm-hmm. There's
0: and no sense of fiduciary in those in those none. situations.
1: And in those, what's interesting is that there's a minority of people that actually take the position that regulation is actually good for the industry. I'm a, I'm a free market guy as well. So I'm reflexively very concerned about regulation, but there's a minority of people that think that it actually clears out the riffraff. What types of regulation, like what's the fine line there? What types of regulation along those lines would actually be useful without encroaching into a place that would actually hinder the functioning of professional property managers?
0: Great question, because really, what it's tough to define the fine line. Of course, it's tricky. It is. It's kind of the gray area. Like, do you consider what California does as intrusive or is it, you know, helpful to the actual professional property managers? Because me as a pro, mm-hmm. right, with solid accounting, processes. CPAs, oversight, really good staff members and processes and procedures, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Come do your, your full cavity check on me anytime you want, right? But if you're not running like that, Whoa, be careful because in my opinion, those folks should be afraid and maybe they should not be in the business. There's, a again, the most dangerous animal in the free market is that one-off leasing agent that does air quote property management. Can they do it? Yes. Can they do it at a high level? Eh, that's debatable. And I think they're hurting the eventual customer mm-hmm. and or the client. And so if you are a consumer advocate, right, that's what a lot of state agencies are posing as consumer advocacy groups, they really should be looking out for the tenant. And in that regard, they should be honing in on who's causing the tenant pain. It's potentially the SMIPOs, as Scott Brady calls them, the self-managing individual property owners. It could be the individual landlords, the self-managing landlords that are causing that pain because there's minimal regulation. Mm -hmm. And so if you take the tenant stance, right? Oh my God, Brad Larson, he's, he's now taking the tenant stance for, you know, I'm sure people are are like fainting and listening to this, but I do think that there's some fine line to protect the tenants with better regulations. And that's going to actually build our industry better. So the pros are going to win, especially going into this recession, because people are not going to be selling their homes. They're not going to be able to sell. And so what do they do when they can't sell? They go rent. And so where I'm going with that is I do think that there's a fine line to answer what it is, is difficult because we're talking both sides of that spectrum where they could be uh, super regulated where they they have have to have 15 different things in line before they can get a license. Or it could be, again, like no offense to the state of Idaho, a very pretty state, but you could just walk in and start doing property management without a license or anything. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's got to be a fine line to protect the consumer which is the tenant.
1: The best and worst landlord that I ever had was somebody that I rented from five or six years ago and he was a local leasing agent. So that part of the process was more dialed, but then I got in and as a renter, it was the loosest process you could possibly imagine. No inspections. Nobody came by rent, pay me when you can. I'm out of town, drop it off. If you, you know, drop it by the house, Gone for weeks at a time. It was a couple months stretch where he, we just, he, he, I couldn't send it to him because I couldn't take the physical check to his house. And so, therefore, he didn't even want to collect the rent. A situation like that is not good for anybody. It, it could have been more convenient for me in some ways, but, but it wasn't actually. It was, it was weird and it was, it was unhelpful. What you're talking about with the advocating for the tenant is a great segue into the other half of the conversation, which is part of what you brought up previous to the interview. And that is around fee maxing. We've talked about revenue optimization, which started with the seed bed being how do we make sure that small businesses are running sustainable businesses that are strong for to support the tenant, to support the owner, which requires cash flow. You have to get paid for what you do. There is no virtue in not making money because it's not sustainable and eventually you'll stop doing it. As that conversation has matured. It's it's fairly mature now. This is not a new idea. There's been multiple iterations of it. Now we're on the backside. So it's beyond obvious it's accepted, but now there's some, some conversation around what will this look like in a legislative sense? We've probably been a, through a full life cycle of monetizing on the owner side. Now it's come over more on the tenant side and that trend is still growing. How do you think about... The balance and the tension between revenue optimization that provides healthy profits that are appropriate and necessary to run a strong business, while also not getting into territory that is likely to attract the attention of regulators and to feed the already fairly aggressive and bubbling anti-landlord movement that has really sprung up and got even more steam since COVID.
0: A lot to that. We got to unwrap several things inside of that. So, if what I'm hearing you're saying is, you know, where's the fine line? Is that kind of where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we, a lot of property management companies have fee-designed maximization efforts towards the tenant and the owner and sometimes the vendors. Uh, so, there's lots in that to unwrap. There, I guess I would, the first thing that pops in my head is days on market. Okay. So, let's say there's uh, real estate agent X with, you know, whatever... Crappy brokerage that you want to pick on, and they're advertising a one off home for lease, right? And they're renting that home in 21 days for fun. And then you look at a professional property management company, their fee max, they have resident benefits packages, they have application fees, they have leasing fees, they have renewal fees, they have you name the fee, like we can go on and on. And their days on market is still 21 days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you start from that benchmark and go up, okay, uh, apparently fair market, the consumer says, I don't mind those Mm -hmm. because I see the value in that resident benefits package or whatever you want to call it. Uh, They don't mind paying the application fees because the apartment complexes have already trained them, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right? That's a big part. These folks are coming out of college potentially. They've been coming out of apartment complexes and now they're going big time and moving into their now starter home, Mm -hmm. as Scott Brady called it. The new starter home is the first rental home single family home. Mm -hmm. That's the new starter home. Okay. It's not the first home they're purchasing. The new starter is now the first home they're renting. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe in that. So to to kind of circle back on that, if the days on market is still the same, well, that's the ultimate benchmark. Because if our days on market were 35 Mm -hmm. and the individual real estate agent Mm. with no fees is 21. Mm. Okay. Now we got something to fix because the market is saying that we are overpriced. And that's how you determine that, in my opinion. Now, the complaints and stuff, you're always going to get that. I mean, you know, complaints to the boards, complaints to, you know, the Google, complaints to the Yelp, whatever, for fees, whatever. You know, there is a fine line within reason, of course. But I hone in on the apartments. And I want to say that again, because anything that we've created in the single-family space has typically been copied from the multifamily space. Mm -hmm. And they're Much bigger than we are. I wish I had the stats in front of me, but I would guess four to one. You know, as far as multifamily to single family. And so when they go in, and they have a you know a crazy high application fee, they have a you know a mandated technology fee that they have to pay. They have a mandated you know whatever policy they have to pay every month, a trash fee every month. You know, I mean, they're they're really getting hit just as much as anybody else. And so they see some of these things and they're like, yeah, that's fine. At my apartment complex and wherever I was paying one, two, three, and four and not only paying one or two in the single family home, I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that makes somewhat of sense. I think it's a great proxy, days on market. To be honest with you, hadn't really thought about
1: that, but that totally makes sense. I intuit that that is a fantastic proxy for how far people are being pressed. If you think about on the owner side, talk to me about your sensibilities around disclosure. What types of fees do you need to be disclosed? Are there any fees that you think don't need to be disclosed? If I'm disclosing things as a general catch-all, now we're just back to a free market proposition where if you don't like it, you don't have to work with me. For somebody that's new in the businesses and is hearing about uh, rev maxing, what would you say to them about what's appropriate with disclosure?
0: Make it worthwhile for the owners. Okay, so let me illustrate that in a point. If we charge a tenant a pet fee per month, well, how do we make the owner whole? Like, how do we take care of the owner? So backing up just a hair, let's talk about what we used to do 10, 15, 30 years ago. We would charge a pet deposit, okay? A pet deposit almost puts the owner in more peril because of all the laws surrounding deposits, security deposits, pet deposits, triple damages, 30 day notices. I mean, Mm -hmm. all this other stuff that surround it per the the property code in most states. Mm -hmm. So to get away from that, we just charge a monthly animal fee. And then the punchline, is we make the owner whole with a guarantee. So here's a free annual guarantee of X. You can create your own four-figure guarantee. And so the burden now is like a warranty on top of the management company. So an owner, all right, let's pretend I'm an owner. I'm looking at that, wow, I get a four-figure guarantee from this management company or a three-figure pet deposit that I'm now liable for with treble damages and attorney's fees to the state if somebody screws it up or we misclassify it somehow or we don't account for it correctly, yeah, I'd rather take that four-figure guarantee versus that three-figure deposit, which I have to refund anyway. And if I keep anything out of it, the tenant's going to go ballistic and want to sue. So this is how that works. And that benefits both the owner, the management company, and in theory, the tenant, because they're used to it again from the apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that made a point, you know, as far as illustrating that question.
1: In terms of the overall macroeconomic trend right now, you've made a couple of comments that are related to that. For example, real estate agents coming into the market, that has to be just right about to really foment in a significant way right now. What are you seeing as some early trends in the market right now? And how are you feeling about hopefully being able to retest this long-standing idea that our industry is counter-cyclical? Which to be honest, I've heard and taken as an article of faith for years, but I wasn't actually there in 08. So how are you, what are you seeing and how are you feeling about this shift in the market?
0: Well, one, we are super excited about it. And so I don't mean to be a capitalistic pig on this one, but uh, you know, you, you watched Scott's presentation yesterday and and it was all about the four things that are going to affect the upcoming trends in property management. And darn it, we're excited. You know, we just had our quarterly EOS meeting and I stood up and raised my hands and said, gang, it's coming. The recession is here. So what does that mean? It means we are, we have the potential to double in size. This is any management company. They can go out and get the business, right? That's the big number. We have three standing orders, provide exceptional service, get the business and keep the business. Three standing orders in our business that we really hone in on that kind of drives everything. With the pending recession, if it's not already here, we can argue that point, people are not going to want to sell. So, If they have to leave their 3% interest rate, they're just not going to do it Mm -hmm. because they don't think anyone's going to buy at 8% interest rate. So that's one factor. The other factor is if they put the home on the market, nobody wants to buy. So they're like, well, it's not going to put the home on the market. We're going to rent. Then you take into the other fact that there's more and more and more renters. The renter pool is skyrocketing. And so it makes a ton of sense to just go ahead and rent. And so you got all these factors combining to push people to say, I'm just going to rent this home or I'm going to stay in this home for whatever reason, which again, shortens the, or uh, the rental pool and makes that renting home even faster. So it just, all these factors combined, it's like a perfect storm coming together that I'm going to you know go out there and say, we're going to have the best 18 months we've ever had. And we can super just double our business. And again, okay, the market turns and now everybody's selling again in two years. Great capture the business. Let's capture those sales. We've had them under management for two, three, five, ten 10 years, and now they're ready to sell. Let's be the person that helps them sell that home and capture that business as a real estate sales brokerage. And so there's no downside to this. And so I would, my advice to everybody is beef up your, your business development, right? Get with a consultant. You yeah. have some pretty good folks on rent scale as that do can you. do this. We have BizDev Mastermind all those are working together. I think they go hand in hand. They're like Burger King, McDonald's, honestly. I think they work, you know, pretty good synergy together, but hire somebody, create that business development machine and watch the leads start to come in and make those closings, right? Get that business. And so I really am excited. I know I'm going on and on about it, but dang it, it's been coming because, you know, we've been struggling yeah, you know, through exactly. COVID.
1: It's on the heels of it. If you look mm-hmm. at the story arc of property managers over the last five years, arguably COVID was, um, had less bottom line negative impact than the sales market did. What's your take on that in terms of what was a bigger hassle for property managers? Was it all of the stress and the compliance of COVID or was it the the churn implications that came through this just
0: white hot market that was, was, there, was there for a couple of years? It was a accordion effect. An accordion effect. So what happened was all the sales and activity that would have happened through COVID did not happen. Yeah. So it kind of compressed it. And then all of a sudden it started to open up and then people just like shot through the cannon. And so it was like an accordion, a, a, a contract and expand. And so that really caused the sales market to almost double in effort. I don't know what the stats are on that one, but you can see how that could happen where, all right, we're just going to shut everything down and then mm-hmm. oh, it's open. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, look at Vegas I and mean, geez, we're running around Vegas and it's a freaking, you know, just nightmare around here right now because all the people have kind of been let Hoppin'. loose. It's popping. There's people traveling. There's the place is just booming because there's all this pent up energy. And that was kind of the synopsis of what happened in that sales and rental market. And once that opened up, man, it really created just a, a huge exposure. And, you know, we're in Texas, so we see, gosh, the mass migration is really, you know, it's hitting us mm-hmm. in a big way. You talk to people in, in, in Texas and Dal- or Dallas and Austin, and they're like, it's all oh, Californians are all moving to Texas. And you know, we get it, right? Because you and I both live in Texas and we get why, because we're, you know, we love the state. Great but place to live. Yeah. And it's that accordion effect again happened. And so it it almost like depleted the energy a little bit. And so it, when everything, you know, goes super fast, at some point it has to slow down a bit. And so now we're going to be seeing a slowdown. Interest rates have gone up way too fast. And so, all of a sudden, it's putting the brakes on the market. And then we have this class action stuff going on with NAR where buyer's agency potentially could go away. And holy cow, you talk about changing the landscape of what we do as property managers. I mean, imagine thousands of realtors who can't make a living all of a sudden looking at our industry saying, we want to be what you guys are. Yeah, I can do that. I'm going to build that type of a company over there because the state has no regulation. So what the heck? What are they going to do to me? And so they're going to be stealing our market share a little bit, which again goes back to build that business development machine, bring those leads in, be the professional property manager and beat those startups, right? Get into the business to where you can you can start to look better than those little startup guys. And no offense to them, we've all have been there, but they're going to be coming, And they're either going to leave the business or they're going to look to property management, try and make a living.
1: You make a great case for the professional property manager. You also mentioned the startups. You mentioned little startups. Let's talk about the big startups. Let's talk about some of these bigger players that have come in the space. You and I notoriously had a a bet years and years and years ago. (laughs) This was 2017. There was a company that had come into the industry named Castle. And they were kind of the first wave. I think for both of us, it was interesting novel what's going to happen and hey, I'm not going to miss a chance to um, take a a fun bet with you. So so I did. We wagered and you were right. That company folded way faster than I thought was going to happen. But we've seen many more iterations since then. And enough time has elapsed. I'd like to think we know something. We don't know everything. We don't know how the whole thing is going to go. But we're a lot more informed than we were back in 2017. What do you think we've learned? And what do we still yet to understand about how it's going to play out for these big capital heavy companies that have come into our space and are looking
0: to roll up and do consolidation. Well, we've learned that Wall Street has taken notice. Yeah, absolutely. The venture capitalists look at what we're doing, uh, either Wall Street money, VC money, private money. They want a piece. They want a piece of this because they see the recurring revenue, they see the market share capture, they see all the benefits of this industry and they see the, the rental market just booming and the need for solid rental homes. Because look at the stock market, it's just like taking a dump. Mm -hmm. And so people are running from the stock market saying, well, I would rather make a living in the the real estate world in the property management world or in the the real estate owning world. To do that, they need good property managers. And so there's been a lot of eye raising at the property management industry and a lot of money coming our way. The players that we see, we could rattle them off, you know, left and right. They've all been pretty solid. You know, they've all come in and done some good things. So I, I really don't say there's one better than the other necessarily. It just kind of depends on how they've gotten their money. We've seen a huge splash from from big players that have come in and gobbled up uh, a lot of the, the key players in the industry, getting that social proof. Mm-hmm. And so that's been pretty neat to see. But I think as a whole, it should be another exciting arrow in the quiver for property management companies existing to say, wow, I guess we're doing the right thing mm. because people are looking at this as the place to go. And so we were the redheaded stepchildren 20 years ago. And, you know, you, you get, I always remember that, right? Leaving Keller Williams and starting up a management company and the market's booming and real estate sales and realtors are running around and, you know, they think they're they're unstoppable, right? Right. And now okay they're going to be you know delivering pizzas here pretty soon because they can't make a living as buyers agents and they're all going to be turning towards management. Now I'm not rehoning that. I'm trying to go back to your question. The the fact that the Wall Street money is is taking notice validates what we do even more. Again going back to I think we need a bit more regulation to ensure that we're doing it correctly so Wall Street will continue to believe we are viable in what we do. So we have
1: seen some companies, let's see, two, three companies that have gone through the full life cycle. There's more than just Castle. There's a couple of companies that have gone through the full life cycle all the way to uh, either straight up declaring bankruptcy or having a distressed sale. And there's many players still in the market. But maybe we're a little bit past the peak paranoia and concern. I remember a time where there was some real strong concern of folks thinking, hey, this new player is in my market. They're dropping fees. They're going to push me out. I'm going to get disrupted, et cetera. Do you feel like we're kind of a little past that, that peak paranoia and concern?
0: 100% for me. So I'm in huge markets. San Antonio and Austin, they're huge, right? What well, San Antonio is a fifth or sixth largest city or something crazy? It's huge. And if I heard one of those players coming into my market, if they're not already there, I'm just like, whatever, shrug my shoulders and say, there's plenty of business for everybody right? We only have what, 20, 30% market penetration. So that means there's 70, 80% of the individual landlords out there that are still up for grabs. And so we have to look very, very good to attract those particular players. And again, as more regulations start to be infused, it's going to make our industry even more solid because those SMIPOs, those individual landlords will look to professional property managers to manage their most valuable asset. They're one to 100 residential homes or units, whatever they could be, multifamily, single family. So I don't freak out about that. And let's go back and illustrate a point. Renters Warehouse, right? Good organization. They were doing radio ads Mm -hmm. and people were just spazzing out. Oh my God, they're doing radio ads or offering X per unit management fees and blah, blah, blah. Well, what they were doing was creating awareness.
1: Mm, And so- For the category as a whole.
0: Yes, for the category as a whole. And so people go do a Google search, property managers, your name city. Like, oh, well, there's there's the renters warehouse radio spot that I saw. Look at all these other management companies out here. I'm gonna call around. What is this management thing about? Because I'm I gotta move to Boston and my home's in Minnesota. And and they figure out, well, there's options. Oh, this is really neat. Okay. They charge that, they do that. Oh, wait, well, this is a highly rated professional property management company, been in business for 25 years. I'm gonna, you know, give them a call. Okay, I like what they gotta say. I hire them. Instead of the Renner's Warehouse radio spot, right? So I think that was an actual good thing. Mm-hmm. I hear those in the radio. I'm like, cool, you know, get awareness up and going, because everyone's still going to go on Google search.
1: You're right, and and the category, as I think about it, particularly with Renner's Warehouse, they were, were they were promoting the idea of, hey, you're moving, you don't have to sell. There's an option, and for a lot of folks, that really was kind of like a. Yeah, I guess so. I hadn't really considered that. And so that absolutely transcends the fact that, you know, renters warehouse is trying to pitch their services, but Mm -hmm. the broader awareness of the idea that if you're moving, which is, you made that point previously for folks right now with the interest rate lock in, et cetera, that's a big opportunity to say, Hey, you're never going to get that rate again. You know it, we know it. I don't know if you're never going to get it again, but not anytime soon. Mm -hmm. This is the opportunity to put another renter in place. The adjacency to talking about these big companies coming in is to also talk about the big vendors in our space, particularly the P- the property management software solutions. This ecosystem is very impactful for uh, frontline operators, and there's been some shift over the last couple of years. There's been some openness. There's been some, in, uh, some new players that have come in as a result of the lack of openness. What are you seeing in terms of any shifts or changes in the ecosystem for property management software vendors.
0: Great point, because you are in that space as Lead Simple. We use Lead Simple. We promote it. We love it. Thank you for putting that all together. And the guys that run it, they're fantastic. What are, To go to your question, uh, I don't know if I, you want me to name software names. Please, or not? please, okay. go ahead. So for example, Appfolio, great organization. They've been in business for a long time. We, we were prior customers. We use RentVine now. Appfolio has now started to open up their doors or API to vendors to integrate with them. Because of the pressure of other companies like Rentvine, mm-hmm. who say, yeah, we can figure it out. We can do an open API. You have other players like Rent Manager, they're doing the same thing. Yardi Breeze is starting to get into that space. You still have RealPage with PropertyWare, they're starting to do that more and more. So I think Appfolio, as a, as a honed in example, started to see, yeah, there's other pop-ups out there and or other big factions are creating their own software. That's been an interesting trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if that's wise or not. I mean, I can debate that with you, but uh, you are seriously trying to recreate the wheel and it's going to be very, very, very expensive. And no matter how much money you throw at it, you can't replace the experience that has gone into honing in a software. Cause a software is just not, it's just not rinse and repeat from each one. There's so much to it. And I don't know the ins and outs of it that well, other than, you know, I've looked at several softwares and, you know, we transitioned a couple of times from different softwares, but the ones that are out there are starting to see that, yeah, if we don't start to do what our customer wants, they're going to look for other solutions. And that little ticking away of every little lost customer is eventually going to hurt. I mean, I think at some point those big big, big organizations got so big. They just didn't care Mm -hmm. complacency. They they complacency. They're just like, whatever, if you leave, whatever.
1: And where, and where are you going to go? Yeah.
0: And it's a pain to leave. It's a pain to leave. They think you're very sticky because it is hugely painful to leave. Other companies started to pop up. Other services started to pop up to help transition them. Right. So a new pie with, with their uh, faction. They were helping to transition people from softwares because of all the data migration. Mm. That was a huge part of that. I didn't realize they were doing that. Yeah. They've been doing it for years and years. I'm, mean, I would say a decade and that's Planet Synergy. And so they were helping people to go in there and do that because the old school way was you had to download all of that data into Excel spreadsheets and then upload it into your new software, which is a giant undertaking. It would take them you know, two weeks to do it eight hours a day from India. Right. And so those services have become more and more. So the mm-hmm. kind of the crux of all that is you have waning customer service, right? You've always heard that complaint from other softwares. You have the non-cooperation effort from having an op- open API. So I can use other great vendors like your company, Lead Simple. Property Meld is another one. There's ones out there that they couldn't use because there was no collaboration, And then you get into the fact that there's others are popping up. So, you got these three things potentially pushing Mm -hmm. and pulling people away from those major software companies looking at other options. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question on your perspective. Uh, What do you think of these companies that are starting up their own property management software that's exclusive to them?
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think where my mind goes right out of the gate is that the cost of the R&D has to be spread out over the number of units that you're managing. So in the case of a large player, one of the top four or five PMS solutions, they have millions of doors. So whatever they spent to build it is spread over all of those units. If you had an equivalent or even let's say a much smaller amount of R&D spend, but you're only spreading it over uh, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 doors, the unit economics are challenging. At some point, you still have the same motivation to resell it to third parties. So I've done my part, let me kick it back to you. How would you feel about buying software from a competitor in your market? Is there some sense of conflict of interest? In my mind, I would be sympathetic to that perspective.
0: Well, I don't think it's been done before.
1: It hasn't been done. Yeah. No, but what's your immediate gut reaction if another player that's servicing doors and has BDMs and is doing advertising is also attempting to sell you
0: software? I wouldn't have a problem with it. You know, if the software was good and it worked, it's fine. Um, okay, now I'm done. All right, let me think about that a minute. I might be back to it. Okay. <laughs> that's a pretty quick answer. Um, here's the other situation is now they have access to your data. And they can start calling your owners, they can start calling your tenants, they can take that data and use it for their own self-serving interests. Okay, maybe I might have a little problem.
1: It probably give you some pause, at least some yeah, reflection.
0: a little bit, right. And we see a lot of that in parallel for the accounting companies. Mm-hmm. There's several accounting companies that have come out and they get access to the company's data. And then all of a sudden, they potentially own a management company in that same market, all yeah. of a sudden. Legitimate concern. Legitimate, like, acquisition. It was, you know, there, but now all of a sudden they're doing the accounting for a management company in their own market. And so, yeah, you might have a hair of a conflict of interest. Of course they would say no, because they're professionals and non-disclosure agreements and all that stuff. But it doesn't make me sleep well at night to know that.
1: You know, the, uh, the fact that I have not personally run a property management company has been an aspect of my career that I have embraced and been good with, but I've had that thought of, Hey, you know, that'd be something to do for me. I've done a number of things. I've had a number of jumps. Why not acquire and manage residential property management company just to have that, that background and to be even closer to it. That would give me some, some joy. And I like being the real McCoy. However, that very idea has absolutely given me pause. Somebody in my market, you know, how would they feel about that? In light of everything I've done and, and the positioning that I have in the market, I would understand if somebody would feel uncomfortable with the idea that now I'm competing
0: with them directly. So let's recap a conversation once that you and I have had in person, in a hotel room in Vegas, three, four, five years ago, surrounding the NARPM accounting standards. Mm-hmm. You know, we helped put that together. Mm-hmm. Um, that was about the property management brokerage type stuff, mm-hmm. like brokering, property management companies, being a business broker, Mm -hmm. right? So we started that little faction and we have the property manager broker, but it hasn't gone anywhere and nobody's hiring us or wanting to hire us. It's not because we're Epic fails. It's because the market is so dang hot for a property management company. Mm -hmm. You and I both know that if somebody wants to sell a management company, one Facebook post and they're going to get absolutely dilute with, with 10 offers that day. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter where it is. I own a property management company in Florida, anybody interested in buying me, people from Washington state will contact them the farthest part away from the country Mm -hmm. to say, I'm interested, let's talk. And people will run these management companies remotely now. And so the landscape has completely changed, is an absolute seller's market Mm -hmm. for a property management company, which is another reason these are so great to get into. So if you wanted to sell at any point, I, I say it over and over again. It's a Facebook post away and you have 10 offers. I think this is actually a good thing. As I process on this further, the liquidity
1: options that are in my mind peaking right now, you're hearing the same thing I'm hearing. Valuations, I, I, my sense is that valuations have peaked. And if we're talking about getting a high cash offer for your business, great. I'm all for it. So I'm in favor of that liquidity being an option for owners. Now that's a different proposition than getting rolled into another entity and having more of a strategic proposition on their destiny. But if you're just looking to cash out and now you're getting a a 2X revenue offer,
0: awesome. Yeah. I don't think it's peaked yet. Oh, you think we're still? I think we're still going up in the management world. Okay. So for example, I've started a campaign that I'm really honing in on in San Antonio to buy more management companies there, buy more accounts And I tell everybody, I can pay more. I will pay more because it's more valuable to me than one of the four or five big players that we could, we can rattle off and they're going nationwide, Mm -hmm. right? Because I could come in and just do a tuck in, right? Mm -hmm. That whole term you've heard before. So where I can absorb that straight into my already infrastructure in the San Antonio, Austin regions, and it's worth more to me. I can do owner financing and pay more. I can do straight up, you know, cash you out and pay more because I think it's worth more. So am I driving up the price? Sure. Do I think it's worth it? Yes. I understand that those are worth it. Parallel. What is a SaaS company going for? Stupid margins. Yeah. 10 times revenue minimum. Right. And it's the same recurring business model, recurring revenue business model in a certain sense, Mm -hmm. right? So why aren't we there? But we could be.
1: There's definitely, there's definitely increasing awareness of the value of these businesses. I want to pivot to talk a little bit about events. You and I, many years ago, when I was running PM Grow, um, we had talked about your event. PMM Con was an idea, it was a concept, and then you did it and you scaled it up. I, by contrast, got out of events, had a great three-year run, and for a variety of reasons, including the fact that my partner partner left the business, it was just time for me to kind of exit at a high note and I had a great a great time though. I really I, I enjoyed it and that was meaningful to me that I was able to have that arc. I would love to riff with you. What have you learned about running events? It looks glorious from the outside. When you're in it, it's a grind, but mm-hmm. it it can also be deeply fulfilling and rewarding. What's been your experience
0: with PMMCon? Man, you may have to bleep a lot of this out, but uh uh first off, the hotels are just awful to work with. They are Just so dang expensive. The last event was at the Red Rock in Vegas. Awful organization, the Red Rock. I would never, ever go back there. They completely effed over that conference in a hundred different ways. And that's been one of the biggest challenges. And you think you can do your due diligence and you can shop around and you can look at different hotels and the dates are always a struggle to get with. Uh, the, The timing of everything, it's just a difficult monster to put together, but it can be a lot of fun. Um, that's not a moneymaker for sure. You know, I mean, I think the PM Grow conference decided to, uh, cease fire on what they were doing. I think they bailed out of that whole I saw concept that. because it's just not a money making event. It's a slog. It, it's a slog. And you're competing with other entities that don't need to make money, right? They can put on a conference that they don't care if it makes money or not because, uh, they have a big treasury behind them to help push it forward. Mm-hmm. And that could be any organization you can rattle three or four off in your head, but, you know, for what we're doing at a private level conference, uh, the fine line of having that balance of a really good kick butt event and then ticket prices, right? And then you got speaker fees and you got all these different different things going on. We're going into our fourth iteration. So it's never perfect. Uh, we have great spreadsheets and we have great budgeting and we have a great lineup for the 23 version. But what I've learned is the hotels are the make or break. Mm-hmm. Like They can Make, her, make it for you or break it for you. Mm-hmm. Another great example. Okay. I, I like to give examples, right? It's one thing to, to give you all that fluffy stuff I just talked about. I'm going to give you a hardcore number example. So the Grapevine uh, faction in 21 in Dallas, the Grapevine Resort. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not saying that wrong. The Gaylord, excuse me, mm-hmm. in Grapevine, they were awesome to work with. The conference-wide internet fee was $2,000. Okay. The Red Rock, they come in. They want to charge us $13,000 for the same conference-wide Wi-Fi fee. And we couldn't do it. We just didn't have the budget. We just like, we were already, you know, short. And so that's one quantifiable difference between hotels, but you can never tell me there's a difference in the Wi-Fi provider. It's just, they were getting so much out of that. I mean, the hotel in Vegas, and you can see what they're doing here. We were down there at the, the vendor faction yesterday, $12 for a Miller Lite. $16 for a glass of Chardonnay. And you're like, come on. So that's part of it is the hotels are just, don't forget the gratuity built in for the conference organizer, 23 to 25% on top of that. And so it just gets so ugly and expensive and don't feel sorry for me guys. Honestly, I'm not asking for that. I'm just trying to illustrate a point that the hotel can make or break the, the function as either a a lose money event or a break even or make money event, and if you make money, it's not you know you know f you money and you're retiring on a on a desert island with your what your yacht. It's just like okay, you made a little bit, and then you pay taxes on that. So it's not a money-making event but darn it it can be fun oh i want to communicate publicly that when i was running pm
1: grow what the distinctive for me was how much effort i put into curating speakers and i did that in the contrast of what i felt was a real neglect in that area which i could understand because it was a real it was and it is a real pain and when you were setting up your event I didn't know what it was gonna be like, but it became very obvious to me that you were working just as hard, if not hard than I was to curate the content. I have very little appreciation for folks who just take the same familiar names, do the same layup, Every time you run one of these, there's a list of people that want to speak at the event. There's a list of people that you can just rattle off a list of names and then boom, you've got your speakers booked. That doesn't cut it. That's not what people came for. To run a good event, you have to hustle. You have to find new people, new concepts, new angles. You got, you need to get told no a lot because they're interesting speakers that can't come. They're not interested, mm-hmm. whatever. You've put in the work, man. I really respect the way that you've curated the content. I know what that takes
0: and I respect that. I appreciate it. One of the things that we try not to do is a panel. I'm not a big fan of panels. Uh, IMN, for example, they run their conferences, it's all panels. And they just regurgitate a bunch of people on stage and say, talk about something for an hour. Good luck. Magic can happen out of that. And it can go the other way really quick with no content, no real structure. Just like, anybody got any questions? Crickets, crickets, you know, and it's just an awkward thing to put up. We really do try to hone in on what people want to learn about. So for, for example, in the podcast, I was telling your crew pre-show that a lot of our podcasts, we just interview vendors because it's self-serving for RentWorks. I want to know what they can do to help RentWorks first. And that's going to help the other property managers out there by learning about my discovery conversation with X vendor. There's always new ones coming in. So it's just, that's how we hone in on it. But the conference content, our big thing is to do the masterminding right? That's been the property manager mastermind conference. So we really hone in on that with good facilitators and they go into these conversations at length in a group setting 30, 40, 50 people, and they just mastermind the heck out of a certain topic. And again, that's where I think a lot of the magic comes out of it, but you got to have a good facilitator to drive that conversation. Otherwise they can go off the rails pretty quick. Our agenda this year will be dang it darn, uh, almost to the minute, right? We also hone in on giving the vendors a lot of time. So all of our breaks are 45 minutes. All the lunches are 90 minutes. We have uh, an evening buffet for the vendor function. So it's no one's going to have to leave. You know, some of these factions, you go and you do a, the vendor uh, mixer. Well, here's your finger food. Here's a drink. And people are starving and leaving by 7 o'clock. Well, this way, we're going to feed them so they all stay and the vendors get mass interaction. To make a point. That's where people learn the most is talking to the vendors. Wouldn't you want somebody talking to your lead simple crew for two hours? How do I do this? And how do I do that? Okay. I've really learned about this. Okay. Now I'm ready to jump in and sign up and get into it. Right. Same with rent scale. How do I learn this, Jeremy? What do we got to do? You know, how is it going to work? Okay. I'm in. If they're just there for a drink and a snack and they got to go to dinner somewhere, it doesn't give you the vendor enough time.
1: I love it. I wanna end here. The industry lost someone special this year. Who's Kevin Knight to you, Brad? I know I know you knew this guy well.
0: Yeah, Kevin, wow. Um, Kevin Knight was my mentor. He was a super good friend. I spoke at his service. Uh, we were in business together mm. and just a fantastic guy. So I'm gonna tell a couple of stories that I told during his service is when I first got into NARPM, this was back in 2012, 2013, you fill out a form and a mentor contacts you. Well, right away, I f- I filled out the form, Kevin calls me the same day and he's a competitor, right? He is 10 miles away in his office. We're all working in the same market. He's a competitor and he's super chip, chippy and cheery. And he's, he Hey man, let's go to lunch. And so, you know, he took me to lunch and just offered up anything that we needed to build out the processes. Mm, mm. And, Today, I would do the same thing because I think if all of my uh, cohorts, my peers in San Antonio or Austin are doing the same thing, we all look better as an industry Mm -hmm. and it it raises everybody up. So Kevin was taking that stance long before I understood it. And so he really was a super mentor in that regard. Another one is when he thought, okay, Brad, I like what you're doing. I got to get you into speaking. I'm like, why? I'm busy building a business. I got young kids. I, have, I ain't got time for that. It's like, no, 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 we'll, we'll get you doing. I'll get you a gig in Australia. You know, his voice, right? And uh, and so, dang it, he did. He got me a speaking gig, my first one ever in was Australia. Was that when we went to Australia together? We were all there together. Wild. That was my first ever like on stage speaking gig, other than like a small little NARPAM faction six months prior. And so, that was my first main stage gig. And uh, it went pretty well. I mean, it went really well. And he got that gig for me, but I gave him a bit of hesitation because to be frank, I was struggling at the time with finances. I mean, we were at that tipping point where we were at a hundred doors, 150 doors. And at one minute, you're maxing out your credit cards to make payroll. The next minute you're, you make a few sales and you're like, okay, I got money this month. I mean, it was a C, you know, a, a seesaw there for a bit. And I gave him that little bit of hesitation, like, Oh, I don't know if I have the money for that, you know? And I didn't even say anything. And he's like, no, 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 I'll pay for you. I got I got frequent flyer miles, we'll, we'll go together. I'll, I got you covered, I got your wow. flight covered. That's what I said. I, I said, holy that, cow, man. are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I guess I can't say no. And then they paid me a, you know, whatever, a thousand bucks to speak over there and gave me a free ticket. So I couldn't say no. And that was Kevin's doing. Mm. And so he, we traveled together to Australia mm. uh, and it was all because of him believing in me. And he's just a fantastic guy. And so it, it was really, it was a real tragedy that he lost his life in a scuba diving accident in Florida. This would have been three, four months ago. And it was just, it kind of shocked the world. Cause you know, he was young, vibrant, has mm-hmm. had a great life going on, was super happy. And all of a sudden it just it struck him. And so it, it kind of makes you realize, okay, uh, I have gone back to my attorney and said, all right, I need to make sure my estate planning is rock solid. Mm. Cause I don't know if his was, I don't know anything about that stuff, but that made me concerned. like, oh man, that could happen to me anytime. That could happen to anybody. And so make sure your estate planning is rock solid. That would be one piece of advice. And Kevin was a fantastic guy. He was surely missed in this industry 100%. And, and left a big wake in his absence.
1: God bless the givers. That's what it makes me think. They say the meek shall inherit the earth. Kevin, Kevin didn't have a big ego. Kevin wasn't mm-hmm. trying to flex on people. He was out there trying to help and contribute and what he gave came back. And to me, he's like, he's one of these guys that really embodies the spirit of service. Another fun
0: story there is, uh, Kevin was, a, he was, he was notorious for the hangers on and so what that means, you know how people get together at these event conventions and they go to dinner. Okay, we got a table for eight, let's all meet there. And then Kevin would show up with two or three new people. Always oh, bringing <laughs> all more the people time. In? <laughs> I love it. It was great to meet him, no problem. But it's just like, dang it, Kev, we had a table for eight. Now we need a table for 12 because he brings two or three people with him. Cause he just invites people. He was just uh, a really good man. guy like that. Friendly, yeah. And so you can't be mad at him for that, oh. right? But it just, I just always remember that he'd always, we'd always tease him. Cause you'd always you'd be talking to somebody in the hall. Hey, we're going to dinner. Why don't mm-hmm. you come on? Yeah, we're going to meet over here, let's mm-hmm. go. And he'd bring two or three people with him that we didn't plan on. And not trying to be exclusive or nothing, but just like, okay, now we need a table for 12. We're waiting for a half hour. Mm.
1: Love it. <laughs> That's some, some great reflections. Yeah. Let's end it there, man. Thanks for okay. coming on
0: Brad. Appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me?
0: Peace.